Hi, this is Alexander Selnikov from Rarible, the easy button for buying, selling, and creating NFTs. I'm on the edge of NFT today, and after hanging out with these guys, they are going on my curated list to find out about everything NFT. Stay tuned. Hello there to all our NFT curious fans and friends. Today's episode is a great one. Find out about how easy buttons and lazy minting are ushering in the next billion people to NFTs. Learn about a powerful NFT partnership that Rarible and Adobe have cooked up. And get a quick but intense wrap-up on the NFT NYC conference, plus a little bit of intel that we happen to gather on site involving none other than Logan Paul and Gary V. All this and much more today on Edge of NFT. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Alexander Salnikov, co-founder and head of product at Rarible, the creator-centric, community-governed NFT marketplace that empowers you to buy, sell, or create art and collectibles secured within the blockchain. Alex has almost a decade of technical experience and has co-founded multiple crypto startups, successfully building complex products that are focused on usability. All right, Alex, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me today. So great to have you on, man. We've been watching Rarible and all the fun stuff you guys have been up to. And yeah, for the last several months, which feels like years or maybe is years in, uh, in, in NFT years, right? So crazy, man. But you know, you have been in the mix for a long time, right? I mean, you've been in and around the world of crypto and, and NFTs for the better part of the last uh, five years. And we're really curious, man, like what was your first exposure to NFTs? I think pretty much standard here. I heard about NFTs first when the CryptoKitty boom was there. That's probably the hottest part of, of the NFT market at the beginning. And that made a ton of sense. Basically, you have NFTs that can breathe and like create more NFT feels like an on-chain life. And then there was like this big downturn in the market when everyone was, okay, yeah, this is fine. We can do CryptoKitties, we can do copies of CryptoKitties, but we don't know what else can we do with NFTs. Yeah, I remember that clearly. Rocking the gold CryptoKitty shirt and NFT NYC right now. So shout out to CryptoKitty. Great party too. Great party. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. did it. They did something. The the best of derps of any one of the 16 parties I think we went to. (laughs) Guys, don't forget, you got to remember, you got to not say that the party was good because I was stuck in the hotel room publishing the podcast. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Alex, I got to ask, man, like, did you see the potential of NFTs in that first exposure to it? And if not, like when did that kind of really capture your interest? Yeah. So at first, when basically the first exposure I saw it, that made sense, as you said. I was like, okay, this is curious. This is interesting. But the clear moment when I saw the potential of NFTs was probably somewhere around the end 2018, beginning 2019, when I went to this space and researched a lot of things. And I suddenly realized that, okay, it's not 
so crazy anymore. You don't need to install like Mist and download 200 gigabytes of data to your computer to use Ethereum. There was custodial wallet like Fortmatic. You can just log in with email, password, and okay, this is doable. So there was this understanding, okay, probably we are more or less ready to some consumer adoption. And the consumers being like this nine years in crypto currency market and that was one thing that always bumped into me like i onboarded a ton of people into crypto and they were some of them were like well i have a credit card and that works fine by me why why do i need crypto so the financial aspect for a lot of people is almost is a little boring like two percent apy bang i love to spend my money on joy that's what the consumer motor should be that was the thing that clicked with nfts like it's just fun yeah so Elaborate a little bit more on the founding story for Rarible and, you know, how you met your co-founders and, and where, what the genesis of the platform was as it exists today. Okay. Yeah, that's a great thing. We met with co-founder Alexi, uh, who is the CEO of Rarible in 2017. Surprisingly, right? And there was this crazy time when everyone was doing blockchain. We were doing some ERC20 issuance platform, helped people to create their, their own tokens. That is the 2017 thing, creating ERC20 tokens. But before that, before meeting with him, I worked with our head of design for five years on all these crypto startups and onboarded down him into this space and he fell down the rabbit hole and Alexi here was working with the CTO for a lot of years as well so that was kind of the saturation point when we joined forces it's like two people from one side two people from another side and that felt like a powerful combination we was sat together um, in 2019 in the summer and felt like what should we do before that i had like a five months sabbatical almost doing nothing and so my i was full of energy and creativity and things like that and i was messaging all my friends like we should do this and this and this and this this space is us that clicked in alexi probably too and he was he was, wanted to do something else that's how we thought that we should create wearable coming from the with the crypto background already, we kind of felt that the space should be permissionless. And back then, there was two ways to create NFT. The first one is to fork the crypto kitty mostly. So let's let's create a copy of some game and deploy that um, and play that. But we need developers for this. And the other was okay, some crypto art platforms, for example, needed to go there and wait for three months until they verify it. And we thought like, why is it so? You shouldn't ask anybody's permission to create your NFT. And came up with just the simple thing, like, okay, name, description, you can create button, connect your wallet, and that's it. And I think that went viral. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk over and over again about how the leaders in the next decade in, in, in these realms of crypto and nfts are making easy buttons right and literally you said there's the button <laughs> it says mit my nft um, which is great i want to dive a little bit deeper into you know rarible i want to know more about the rari community government's token and its utility can you talk a little bit about that of course Creation tool went viral. We've got a ton of creators on board that issued their NFTs. We had early works of Azinashi, Xcopy. 
like all over the the board. As you know, she's now in South Beast, uh, really. So that was a, a good start on the creator side. But they quite soon understood that we're struggling for liquidity and that there is not much activity going on in the marketplace. And we decided to put a little bit fire on that flywheel and launch the governance token with liquidity mining program. So basically, people are earning bravery tokens for trading on the marketplace. And the liquidity for the marketplace is then buyers and sellers. So liquidity mining program for Rarible is rewarding buyers and sellers. And the idea is, yes, it's a shared platform. It's a common platform. It has to belong to its users. We're distributing the governance rights over the platform to the users. So in that sense, it's more or less standard governance token with some slight alterations in terms of what we learned that on the we really need to iterate fast on the front end. You can't decide on things when you're like with the governance every time when you when you're in that business. And the creators are less less involved into the governance than DeFi DGNs. So and that's why the next generation, the next like circle, a spiral of this governance rights is basically the protocol, our latest product. We took off the whole the infrastructure behind wearable created a verbal protocol product out of that. And this is like done open source, community governance, like straight by all the to straight by all the principles that we build projects in, in the blockchain. Yeah, it's interesting. We, you know, we run across these DAOs quite a bit when we interview folks and governance issues. And, and we've even spoken with folks that are a little bit more heavily into that space. And it's complicated, just like, you know, just like government and governance in the sort of real world, the tangible world, I suppose, creating something that that's working, right? And for iterating on it and making it better. And that is interesting to hear. You know, I don't think we've necessarily heard facts like that. That's interesting to hear, you know, that you say like the DeFi, DGENs are a little bit more involved in the governance than, than the artists themselves. And you may not want it that way. Maybe there's ways to incentivize other things, but it's very interesting to, to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, one of the interesting features, and you, you, you talked about it, is the kind of zero cost minting, right, for NFTs. And, you know, that when, it, when you think about an easy button, that, that's certainly part of it, right? And so curious, I guess you guys call this uh, kind of the lazy, lazy minting, if you will. But what is it about that that, uh, I guess, serves your overarching goals and underlying values, in particular, as it relates to environmental sustainability? Yeah, this is a great question. And I love talking about easy buttons, obviously. So I think our core values is, and the mission of the whole project is like everyone to be able to create trade, monetize digital items. I think this is all about like digital items. Like we live in a digital first world and we want everyone to be able to, uh, to use those digital items and for, to own them directly without like, we have, we all own a lot of digital items, but most of them are in custody of a bigger platform that like custody is that for you and you can't opt out of that. So this lazy minting is particularly particularly related to the first part of that, everyone. So that was the pain point. Like we onboarded a lot of creators in the space and they come to the platform. They say, okay, I, I have great art. Let me mint. And then you say, okay, you need some ETH, a little bit ETH to create your, your art. And they're like, where do I get that? Well, on exchange. 
and you need to uh, upload your passport and things like that. And they're like, oh man, I'll let, let me do that tomorrow. <laughs> That's the, the single most effective reason like why we did this lazy minting. Because now you can hop into the platform, create an item for free, list an item for free on the website. The prices, the, the gas prices, uh, they, they will be only charged in the event of like the, the sale is happening. So that's all derived to the buyer. So at least for the seller, that's like zero, zero friction. They still need to set up the wallet, but okay, you can at least do that by, by like spending an hour in the evening. So eliminating the purchase of the ETH was, was the goal. Yeah. Yeah, a mission accomplished, right? So, and, and once um once someone mints using your your zero cost minting feature and it's purchased, it can be traded on any platform, right? I mean, they're not locked in. Sounds like you know you're you're sort of enabling this unique feature, but also open sourcing the the market dynamics after that, which I think is pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, th- this is super important because obviously you can create free NFTs and just your backend centralized in a centralized manner, but that's not the same. So lazy minting is when you create the, the real, the real NFT, but it doesn't exist until it's bought. When it's bought, it just turned into the as same NFTs as everybody else on chain, fully yours, completely permissionless NFT that can be traded ev- anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's it's meaningful, especially with the current gas prices as Ethereum continues to uh, have all-time highs on a daily basis. Let's take a step back. You know, we were in New York last week. I know your, your partner was there. You're in Lisbon. A lot of partnership conversations are happening and have happened. And you guys recently had an exciting one with Adobe, you know, focused on protecting NFT creators and tackling digital art theft. Interesting to see Adobe position themselves in the space and curious about that partnership, the problem that you feel like is being solved here and how this partnership can solve that problem. Okay. I'm super glad you asked because the, oh, let's try to break that down. Basically, we announced the, this uh, partnership with Adobe and what Adobe does, it's basically incorporated the crypto wallet into the software you create your art with. So you log in with your MetaMask to Photoshop and you sign the item that you just created in Photoshop with your wallet. What that allows us to do, it allows us to understand on the marketplace that this was created by this wallet. And if that's somebody else's wallet and not the wallet of the person who sells that, that that's a bad sign. So the real reason for why I'm so excited for this partnership is because I hate the verification mark on Rarible. We started without it and that's permissionless. You don't need to ask permission. You can create anything. And then like we had to implement that because of the high, like we needed to highlight some, some more trusted people. And while other platforms took the path that, okay, we are verifying only cool artists. We... A lot of artists had the backlash about that because like, how can you decide who's, who's the cool artist? We took the past, like we verified just the identity. We just verified that this item is yours. And if you showed us your identity, then you got the, the yellow check mark. It's not the, it's not the symbol of any just ranking or status. It's just, just verified identity. Uh, still, that creates some impediment. Like you need to wait until we verify you. That takes 48 hours uh, now, more or less. So we streamlined the process, but I still like 
it shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't ask anyone to to be in this space. And that's why Adobe Partnership, when we can verify that this is your wallet with just automatically, programmatically, without any human human interaction, this is like the future, basically. I, I want to eliminate any human interaction from from this process. That's beautiful. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting where things are going with being able to have verifiability and ownership of people's creations. And for me, as someone who's, uh, who's been a creator for many years, it's, it's almost a little bit difficult to get used to because I'm hearkening back to a day, you know, in the early 2000s, let's say, where you could create something, put it on a blog post and somebody says, hey, that's a nice photo. I'm going to use that as my background, you know, and then, you know, you'd have to enlist, you know, a huge legal team in order to do anything about it when somebody's, you know, stealing your work. And then, of course, they could just say, hey, that's not even yours, whatever. I really find this fascinating. I love that that Adobe is jumping in here, too, and taking the lead. I think about PDF editing and and, in that whole, you know, situation for for decades. And I got to think Adobe realized this is their moment to shine if if they join the, the crypto crew, because fundamentally, people can screenshot you know, OCR process content in Adobe all the time and, and sort of reclaim it as their own. You guys with this partnership are are creating a future where ownership is clear. And so it's, it's a win for them and it's a win for you. It makes a lot of sense. We're also doing it in a way that is equitable, uh, where everything is verified versus a kind of forcing a class-based system where it's just the blue check marks. You know, there's really something to that. And far more aligned with the ethos of the NFT and crypto world, right? Class-based systems, identifying, you know, the select few, that doesn't feel aligned, right, with our world. There is the whole article about that. This is called credible neutrality. It's basically like the design of the system that cannot discriminate by the fact that it's created this way. If you have something written in code, like, like check the owner, this system cannot discriminate anyone because like it's it just you literally see what it does. Yellow check marks around the house, guys. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's turn the conversation a little bit to NFT platforms, right? One thing that's coming up on our show again over and over is that NFT platforms themselves may be just as numerous as websites in 10 years, you know, and it's just a matter of um, how do they cater to a certain audience? You know, what kind of bespoke products and services that they offer to users. And so this kind of brings us to, you know, there's Rarible and, you know, you put in the same sentence with that OpenSea, you know, these other platforms, Hiccat Nunk, there's all kinds of things, all kinds that are popping up. And sometimes we have this idea of pitting them against each other, especially within the media. And, you know, let's, let's get your opinion on it. What do you think of this idea of kind of pitting platforms against each other? Who are you rooting for? <laughs> That's an obvious question. But yeah, tell me how you think about this type of idea. Obviously, it works the same way in in every business, right? So there is some competition. What the real thing that's happening with NFTs is that they're slowly taking over the digital world. And so we're definitely not yet in the situation when we need to compete uh, across the existing like NFT, NFT people. We, we need just to help. If you want to have a, a decent market share, just go and help the new sector of people to onboard into NFTs and, and do something meaningful. This is the motto for the next like four years for the platforms, for the businesses. So basically everyone has a, a chance to create their own swim lane and just sort of jump into the, the pool. I guess related to that question though is, is 
besides the the features that we talked about, what are some of the the key differentiators when people ask why should I use Rarible instead of OpenSea? Is there anything else? I mean, I'm looking at the website. It's a very different user experience. It is. So we are very much social and people focused. So you have this follow buttons on everywhere on everybody's profile. You have the well-designed profile. It almost feels like a social network in the sense that here are the individual creators that I want to buy from because because of their story. It's like less transactional of I want to buy any like floor price NFT, right? Because I want to sell that for a higher price. It's more like more cultural, more fun, more yellow, more more social. You have the following feed that you can browse of like whatever this these guys that you follow just just drop. This is the mechanic where we're drifting. And of course, we are very much focusing the newcomers, people who just enter the space. So we, we try to. And the thing about them is, you want to use the visual language much more than the like text language when you talk to people because it's much more easy to understand when you just intuitively click to the right angle of the website to find your profile and things like that. So this is something that we are uh, really diving deep on. So speaking of uh, uh, features being the uh, the product lead over there, I imagine there is a tremendous roadmap for Rarible. What can you tell us about like what to expect here in the near future? In the near future, I think I might share this couple of things. So we are expecting a, a release of the mobile app. It's already there on the app store. You can find it, but it's so far it's kind of quiet there. So something more loud is coming up. I'm going to grab my phone right now. <laughs> 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 yeah, Sorry. this is the big thing because, well, obviously, uh, we have 60% of our traffic from mobile, even on the website. So obviously, going more native on the on the platform is super useful. Also, we're coming multi-chain. I think we said that several times. So the thing is that the same way in 2019 and 2018, that there was a feeling that, okay, we are finally ready for some consumer adoption. Now... I have a feeling, and probably not me alone, that we are ready for the next big wave of the consumer adoption. Like Twitter is building NFT stuff, Discord is building NFT stuff, Reddit is building NFT stuff. Facebook literally mentioned NFT in the same article of their name change. It's it's literally, (laughs) we're changing the name to do NFTs. So we're ready to onboard like the next 10 million people into NFTs. There is a survey that like 11 million MetaMask users interacted with NFTs ever. That's like just what, 1 million. So they all like generated all these bots. Next like 10 to 100 million users. It's nothing. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, that would be super. It's crazy. Yeah, so yeah. few people. I mean, we, we live and breathe this stuff, right? So it's easy to forget that we're, you know, it's really so early. You know, I always like to say, you know, later than some, but earlier than most. And I think that's really true here. It is. Well, exciting times, man, for Rarible overall. Cannot wait to uh, to, to experience the app. We'll, we'll download that and get in the mix there and, and keep an eye on what's next. But I think we'd like it to take a few minutes and talk a little bit about your personal perspective on some things. It's a segment that we call Edge Quick Hitters, and it's just a, a fun, quick way to get to know you a little better. We have 10 questions, and we usually look for short, single-word or few-word responses, but uh, we can expand if you, you get the urge. You ready to dive in, Alex? I am. All right. Let's do it. Question number one. 
What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? That would be a funny one, probably. I think I bought a flash drive. Well, probably I've bought some like candies or something like that. But I remember like earning my, my first money somewhere and like literally going and buying the flash drive because I needed like to carry on like information. My my computer had 40 gigabytes of HDD like data on it. And that's it. And I needed the flash drive. Around what age is this? Just so we can put it in context. It's somewhat like 2005, probably, or something like that. So are we talking like grade school, high school, college? Like, I'm just curious. I'm just curious if this is like a four-year-old picking up a flash driver or yeah, we're talking of about it. <laughs> okay, got it. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Awesome, dude. Question two. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? This one is a tough one. I really rarely sell things, actually. I think that's somewhat of the Gen Z, right? <laughs> Stuff you, you buy and use it and you throw it away. I think the largest thing that I ever sold, and that probably comes to my mind. So I, I was a, an owner of the RV, like recreational vehicle, and I sold it. And that, that was the best, the biggest relief in my life. <laughs> yeah. Big responsibility, <laughs> big pain care. for you. Right on. Okay. Well, question number three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? This is going to be a boring one, but the recently I redone my whole, my whole digital nomad uh, setup. So like the laptop stand, keyboard, headphones, a mic, a light. I, I don't use light right now, but yeah, I decided that, okay, and this is the world we live now. 10 calls a day, better be like you guys with all this great. Yeah, that's not boring at all, man. That's our world. <laughs> now, wait, is this something that's in the mail or you've got your setup here? Because it sounds pretty good. Are you waiting yeah. on an even better upgrade? That, no, that, no. Thank it's, you. It's, it's Just in that, time for the podcast. Thank that, you so much. But that is a great reminder, Alex, that we have to follow up with Josh James from One Of because he's got a... Oh, a sponsorship. Uh, he's got a sponsor for our JBL, podcast. JBL, I think equipment. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. We're going to get sponsors for everything except <laughs> what we're wearing that day. That's, that's the goal. I don't know. I have a beat on something yeah. on that front too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. Question number five. What is your most prized possession? That's a tough one. I'm rarely attached to things. So I try to think about them as replaceable. And it's funny, but I almost want to say like my crypto wallet. <laughs> Because it's like kind of the source of all, all, all the other stuff. I, I probably should come up with something more interesting, but let's stop there. We don't I need, can't. no, that's, that's very, that's very interesting and uh, very important. And I think I actually, I think I did skip four actually, which was the most recent thing you sold. Oh, that's an interesting one. I recently sold an NFT that was created with the Coco NFT app that basically allows you to log in with your Instagram and turn any of your Instagram posts into NFT for free with our like latest features. And I was testing that app and I picked some nice photo of my Instagram. Somebody of my friends did actually. So I need to give them all the money and they belong to them. And I sold it for like $200 or something like that. But that was the moment, right? I realized that, okay, it's literally like just the post from Instagram and $200. Isn't nice. that cool? That's very cool, man. Everything's an NFT, right? Very neat. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, a service, an experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? I think my choice would be, choice would be an experience, definitely. 
Uh, somehow I, I dream for getting to space. For yeah, <laughs> let's go. If you were in New York, Alesso dropped an NFT. They got you a trip to space. If, yeah, if you had the highest party. bidder. But, yeah, right? But there's an auction. There was an auction. I don't know if Is that's it done? happened yet. Look it up, you, man. You, you, can, might, you might have a chance. Even by just bidding in the auction, you got an entry to win the second seat on the spaceship. Oh, that's smart. But I think, you know, let's work on just like a rareable spaceship, you know? Let's have you guys get a spaceship up there yourself in a couple of years, you know? Sky's the limit. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> sky's the limit. Throw that on the roadmap. All right, question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? Well, probably curiosity. I always remember myself as a curious kid. I remember a light. Lighting, lighting the thermometer, you know, like there's, that shows the temperature with, with the lighter doing like, oh, it will go up, right? And it's like literally in a second it, it burst it and went to the, to this, to the top and burst it. And I was like, okay, that, that not well. So I think th this is the natural thing that I would love to see in my next generation, just be able to do that. Sounds like you're going to have a household full of children making a little bit of trouble though. <laughs> possibly. Question number eight, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. Let me think for just a second here. We could just ask your team if you want. <laughs> no, just kidding. Probably my team knows much better. I think that I'm a little bit of an anxious person. So yeah, I'm, I'm always worried that the things would not go right. That makes me prepare more probably sometimes. But I think I would I would spare my, my generation of this and just like live easy. Well, if it makes you get a nice podcast mic and headphones for your interview, then so be it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go with it. That's all good. Question number nine, a little easier. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was on the party. That was a funny one because like literally two weeks straight, there is an after party of some event in Lisbon. Today, there was like two after parties and in the middle of them, there is this podcast recording. So I felt pretty packed, but I made it on time. Again, I was a little bit worried. That's a nice crowd of people. I, I didn't drink. Yeah, just for the record. Uh, <laughs> right on. But there's one after this, you said, right? Yeah. So that's the next question. What are you going to do next after the podcast? It's the same question, right? I'm going to go to another party. I love, I love the blockchain crew. It's like literally people are partying, talking about blockchain, listening to electronic music, living digital nomad style lifestyle. It's like, how can you not love this space? Right? <laughs> Every day, man. It's amazing. In my head, there's a theme song for this moment in the podcast, and it's Eddie Murphy. Did you know Eddie Murphy recorded music like back in the 80s? Oh, yeah. yeah. So he had this, you know, the biggest hit that you, Eddie Murphy. Like to party, party all, all the, the time. time. Party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Ethan, Jeff, and I left New York Friday and Saturday. I went to Boston. Ethan went to Chicago. Jeff was in Northern Florida. And now we're back together for more crypto shenanigans in Miami, we go back to our respective homes, then back to Miami again, and then maybe Puerto Rico and Madrid and Switzerland. It's, it's going to be a wild few months. Yeah. The only interruption is a Thanksgiving party with our families. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then there will be East Denver and you can count the whole year, I guess. And then uh, NFTLA with us. So yeah, it's one after the other, man. But yeah, hey, thanks again for all your answers on that. That's Edge Quick Hitters. We do appreciate it. And I, I heard we got a couple of hot topics to sure. touch base on. Let's hit it. Let's talk about 
the cryptocurrency market is now worth over three trillion. Five things that happened in the space this past week. All right, let's take a look. Over 5,000 people attended NFT NYC conference. Well, we know we brought like five people ourselves, so <laughs> a thousand more uh, folks brought their friends, right? Yeah, just highest level. This was like really the first big opportunity for everybody in the NFT space to come together and, and be in the same place in person, IRL in real life, commiserate on all things NFT. We had everyone from Gary V to Quentin Tarantino to Chris Rock, all these different people there, all under uh, you know this uh, this one roof, basically meeting, talking, partying, having a blast. It was really cool, and I think one of the things like I think Josh was uh, was was asking was what happens from here. You know, like where do, where do we go from here when the, the Board Ape Yacht Club actually gets to meet each other in person, right? Does this like take it to a, a whole other level? Like who knows? I don't know. But real relationships were the, the Board Ape Yacht Club actually gets to have a yacht party. <laughs> they do, right? Yeah. You know, they were, I, I want to say formed, but the, I guess these relationships were really formed before, but now they're, I think, magnified in some way. Very special. Yeah. Conferences are usually about the, the networking, but I think that's just like that is all the conference really focused on was the community building. You know, at the end of the day, there were so many satellite events, over 150, and the panels were good. The the guys at NFT NYC did a great job putting this together and scaling it to accommodate so many people that wanted to be part of the action. But at the end of the day, we were all meeting people we hadn't seen in years and then also getting to know a lot of new people. And, and the energy was not like 2017, which I was also part of, Alex and, and Jeff as well. And that was a different energy. I think NFTs bring a little bit more fun, a little bit more levity, a little bit more co-creation to a space that already is relatively collaborative. And I think it's going to be exciting from here. I think there was a this was a big jumping off point for the industry. And I think a lot of new ideas and uh, projects, partnerships emerged or, or started to be fostered at that event. I think also, you know, you talked about the vibe and it, it reminds me of what we've been talking about with Nicole Buffett a little bit in collaborating on this Spirit Seed project. She created these spirit coins and her whole idea is that, you know, NFTs are kind of a new form of currency that really highlights creativity and artistry, right? And, you know, especially when we got to attend the Dreamverse event, right? And just see all the music and creative things going on in augmented reality and the metaverse and, and just all these people, you know, bringing that, as we said, like fun, creative energy into the scene is, is very beautiful for sure. Speaking of bringing creativity into things, uh, we also saw, and maybe we just mentioned it just for a second, Quentin Tarantino at the event. It was a, a secret reveal that he was going to be there. And we were lucky enough to be a part of uh, attending that panel discussion that he had. But he decided to offer seven uncut scenes from Pulp Fiction as NFTs. Definitely heard of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> but yeah, very exciting stuff. You guys got to catch a little bit more of that talk than I did. Yeah. For years now, right, we've talked about NFTs and nobody really cared up until, you know, about a year ago, right? And when we talked about intellectual property, like one of my favorite examples is Pulp Fiction, just because it's so revered and it's so chock full of these moments that uh, that are iconic. And I think when we think of a great example, this is it. This is the one I would use all the time. Like, man, if I had the, the, the rights to 
you know, a particular scene from Pulp Fiction or the whole darn movie. You could slice it and dice it and share it in so many different ways that the fans would, would really love. And this approach here, which is, you know, taking the seven scenes from the movie, the Bonnie situation and so on and so forth, and sharing the the uncut screenplay, actually, with his notes. And I think there's some narrative that's going to be involved in that. It's cool. It's special. I, I think it's actually going to be just seven NFTs, so it's going to be well out of reach for me. But I'm thrilled about it. I think it's very cool. And I think it is just really the beginning for the history of film and classics and uh, connecting with fans in a way that was never possible before. Well, we can at least put in a bid. We can throw a bid. Sure. <laughs> One interesting feature of this too, the whole thing was sort of presented by Secret Network and they're taking an interesting approach to this NFT as well that that the actual extras content that's going to be available, whether it be, you know, the the scripts and, and clips and things like that from Tarantino and commentary, they will be private right, to the folks who bought it. And and they will have the opportunity. They could share it. They could do whatever they want with it. But it's an interesting feature that just happens to be paired with this particular drop. So we'll see how that plays out and, and how people respond to it. I was just excited because during the panel, I feel like Quentin sort of came to his own understanding of NFTs, like in live in front of us, where there was a really interesting discussion about where this could go. And I think there is a lot of beauty in him acknowledging what he doesn't know and still dipping his toe in the pool and, and experimenting with this project. And one of the things that he mentioned that got a big ovation from the crowd is that a lot of his content, starting with Jackie Brown in two years, he'll own straight up and he'll do a lot of things with that content right and i think we've seen more of that art type of um, ownership among creators in film and music and when you don't have to fractionize ownership ownership with 10 different parts of the distribution network when you have that autonomy as a legendary creator to do things i think it's only going to create more opportunities for fans to connect with Quentin, who is, you know, for many people, a legend in the film industry, someone that they decided to get into film. Absolutely. And now, Alex, as far as like content for on Rarible, if Tarantino wanted to to take the scenes, maybe the video scenes themselves even, and issue those as NFTs, is that something that Rarible would be able to support? Of course. I think that's one of the things Rarible was created for. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and do you envision a future of being able to, in some cases, partner with folks like this who maybe aren't as you know tech savvy or even familiar even at this point with NFTs and uh, and bring them into the fold? Oh yeah, our dream is well, partnerships are great, but my dream is for them to be able to log in, hit the create button themselves, and that's it. Mark Cuban did the drop on Bearable almost fully on his own. I think this is the future. Like, I don't know, do you have a customer support on Instagram? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a good point, man. It shouldn't be there. Sh yeah, you're right. You're right. I love that though, man. That is product thinking, right? Uh, development thinking, iteration, being able to make it easy where there's no way that somebody can fall out of the funnel, right? They just accomplish what they want and that's it. Yeah, maybe you can go work for American Airlines because I was on hold for two and a half hours uh, <laughs> trying to change my flight a couple nights ago. <laughs> Seems like we need your easy button thinking on that one. <laughs> but look, I, I have to, okay, at, at this panel, and, and we were talking about this earlier today, I, I have to mention this. You have to say it somewhere. But but we were in there, and this is a 
rock star group of attendees. The panel was amazing. You had Tom Bilyeu up there explaining like the true power of NFTs to Quentin Tarantino, right? And he was absorbing it all in front of us. Uh, Logan Paul was sitting directly in front of me, you know, to the right, taking all this information in himself. And I will say, sitting beneath his chair was this drawing that caught my attention. And it was a pig, very simple drawing in red. And I knew right away, because I'm a, a V Friends fan and, and original owner, that that was a drawing from Gary V. All right, there's a red pig on a piece of paper sitting underneath his chair. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's for. But for some reason, Gary V drew this thing and gave it to Logan Paul. Who knows what the heck's going to happen there, but something's coming from those two. Mark our words. That's some major alpha right there that we just dropped, Jeff. Absolutely. So anyway, fun event, amazing stuff. Tarantino, all these folks doing really fun things. And like we said before, in a thousand, it's just the beginning. So of your alpha. Yes, yes, yes. So I think that's it for our hot topics here. And really, I think a wrap for the overall show. We really are so excited about everything that is happening at Rarible. And we want our listeners to be able to dial into everything that's going on in your world. Where should folks go to follow you and all these amazing projects and, and roadmap items? Where, where do they go? Of course, they go to Twitter. NFT Twitter is the place to be. Crypted Twitter is the place to be. My handle is Insider0x on Twitter. Yeah, follow me up. I have a curated list of NFT accounts to follow. You can find that under my NFT lists. Just follow that, read that for two weeks, and you get up to the speed with all the things in NFT. There we go. We will do a little giveaway. Uh, we don't have all the details right now, but keep an eye out on our socials and we'll get everything out there. Going to be something really fun we do with Rarible. So again, keep an eye out. Okay. I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now rate us and say something awesome, then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We're unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drop, Living Tree NFTs. Through this project, we'll be planting tens of thousands of real trees. This collection is not only a beautiful generative art piece, but will also be the foundation of everything we do with Edge of NFT and our community for years to come. On top of that, Living Tree holders like you will co-create and participate in our podcast and access exclusive events and killer contests. You'll be frontline for other NFT drops, as well as a long, bright future of branching opportunities to come. Get on the whitelist by dropping us a line at contact at edgeofnft.com or tweet at us at edgeofnft, and we'll share with you the steps required to get in the mix. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.